Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, thereminist Aileen Adler. I was playing guitar and singing and writing music, and I had like a little four-track recorder, cassette recorder, that I was writing songs on and getting stuff together, and then I was going to move up to New York and get a band, and then a friend of mine was going down to Austin. I was like, hey, I think you really need to check out Austin. You know, that it's, it's pretty mellow. It's kind of cheap. There's a good standard of living and lots of music that I would really, she said, you know, you come down here and you'll find people to play with within a couple weeks. So yeah, I just met some local, old school, local Austin people that have been doing it for a while and they welcomed me right on in. And real, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Slacker, but at that point, that was definitely the vibe of Austin. Just cheap and no one had a schedule and lots of partying and random weird music and just this oasis, which is Austin still is in the rest of Texas. Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. Here we have conversations with artists, writers, and musicians about their lives and work. A quick announcement before today's show. Starting July 8th, I'll be the instructor of a new class at Fleischer Arts Memorial in Philly, simply titled Summer Classics. Over four Mondays, we'll be watching and discussing a quartet of films set in the summer months, including The Beaches of Agnes by Agnes Varda, Do the Right Thing and its 30th year anniversary, directed by Spike Lee, In Another Country, directed by Hong Sang-soo and starring Isabel Huppert, and A Summer's Tale from Eric Romer. You can find out more at Fleischer.org. I also put together the Bright Bulb Screening Series every second Thursday of the month at the Rotunda at 40th and Walnut in West Philly, presenting film and bringing in film curators, including Sarah Mueller of Cinespeak, Jay Schwartz of The Secret Cinema, Sam Deegan of Diabolic Magazine, and on June 9th at 8 p.m., we'll have Mike Dennis of Real Black Cinema presenting two currently hard-to-find features from the 1990s, the Vietnam War film The Walking Dead from 1995, and the historical film Panther, a fictional film about the Black Panthers directed by Mario Van Peebles. You can find out more through the Rotunda's Facebook page. Now on to today's show with our guest, Austin, Texas musician and thereminist Aileen Adler. I first met Aileen in the late 80s during the halcyon days of Tower Records when we both worked at store number 173 in South Philly. I moved to Alaska and then San Francisco in the early 90s around the same time that Aileen moved to another artist's hub, Austin, Texas. We lost touch with each other for a couple of decades from there, finally meeting up again in the Facebook era. From there, it was that sort of half-awareness you get from social media. I'd see pictures of Aileen looking striking in theatrical clothing, entertaining at events, but what she was actually doing was somehow lost on me. Reading that Aileen was back in Philly for a visit, I thought it would be a perfect time to crack the mystery of Aileen Adler. Aileen was always a dynamic character, and I wasn't disappointed. We discuss her early years arriving in Philly, her move to Austin, singing and adopting the electronic instrument the theremin, visiting Morocco, blacksmithing, and collaborating with John Drumbo French from Captain Beefheart's legendary magic band. We'll also hear some samples of Aileen's music. With the group The Temple of Ape Collective, we'll hear her joined by the didgeridoo from her album Theremin for the Masses, which you can discover at thereminforthemasses.com, and we'll head into the interview with this cut, with Aileen's theremin joined by the pianist and composer Catherine Davis.
That's pretty great. You have a nice view here. Thanks. Inspirational view. I'm here at the kitchen table studios of the Fun to Know podcast with Aileen Adler. I you know, don't like to get so much into the personal in this podcast, but there's no escaping. I mainly know Aileen because... For 30 years ago, we worked at the uh, Tower Records store, the big store on South Street here in Philadelphia, and we worked with a bunch of uh, fascinating people, actually. We worked with King Britt, who's uh, gone on to production fame, and uh, Rennie, the hip-hop dancer, and um, a a lot of... uh, Fascinating people, and Aileen, uh, I've you know always thought well of, and uh, wondered where she was at. It was only in the age of Facebook I found out that she'd taken her life to Austin, Texas, at some point after the uh, after her stint at Tower Records. I, I went in '91 to San Francisco. I you know those were the choices, sort of San Francisco, or Austin, or Seattle. <laughs> You know, and I ended up in San Francisco, but uh, I, I don't know much more other than you play accordion and theremin. I've heard some of the recordings, and they're wonderful, and you always seem to be up to something, but I'm excited to find out exactly what. So uh, you're here in Philadelphia from from Austin, Texas, and I thought this would be a great chance to talk to you. How are you it's doing? It's exciting. I'm doing great. And actually, you know, I didn't mention earlier, I don't play the accordion. You don't play the accordion. I think maybe there was an old video back in the early 90s where I played like this toy accordion oh. and that's probably the extent of my accordion skills <laughs> but uh, I mainly um, singing is my main thing but I've been yeah I've been playing theremin for over 25 years wow but singing is your main thing well singing was what my well as a child I played violin at an early age and then um, played some guitar through my teenage years well, let's, let's, roll, let's not give it all away okay, let's sorry, roll sorry. back let's for a second because uh, <laughs> you know as much as uh, as much as uh, you know I did uh, see you at Tower every day I don't think I asked for your origin story right away uh, <laughs> where did you grow up uh, I grew up just outside of Philadelphia about 30-40 miles in an area called North Wales near Ambler Lansdale area pretty much it was just farm and the mall and the ice cream shop and one random music store that was fortunately walking distance from me oh wow in and out of I would take the train I love public transportation I would take the train from out there into Philadelphia throughout my teenage years and up to New York checking out shows and um, getting to meet people and then when I graduated what, what sort of music school, were you into uh, well in the at high that point years? oh god at that point I mean I was a little goth girl I think mainly at that point, goth and like new wave, and then I went. Who were your faves? Who were oh, geez. Well, you know, of course, I love Nina Hagen and oh, wow. Susie and the Banshees and Sisters of Mercy. Sisters of Mercy, yeah, all the good stuff way back then. And then you know, some of the punk rock stuff transitioned. You know, Philly at that point, you know, punk rockers and metalheads didn't hang out, but it just kind of I liked both worlds, so I kind of merged through enjoying all of those. I, I really have a diverse taste, so. Back in the teenage years, you know, I had to get some good brooding in, I guess. And Yeah, well, everybody gothic. sort of, you know, picks, <laughs> picks their tribe a bit, you know. <laughs> and there was definitely some, I worked for a while across the street from Tower at Rock and Roll. And uh, so got into, like, the death metal. Yeah, and that was like a fashion place. Yeah, mainly, it was like right? t-shirts and you could get all your good, like, uh, death metal cassettes and stuff over there. So who were your metal faves back then? Oh, man, you know, I was really going dark, you know, it was like Fudge Tunnel and Slayer, and <laughs> I still like Slayer, and, jeez, uh, I don't know, you're really tapping back into the Metallica, files of my brain. Of Celtic, course some Metallica. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know about Celtic Frost, but definitely Metallica, <laughs> and, you know, but I also like stuff like David Bowie and the funky, funky stuff and a lot of R&B, and, you know, I really like to... I still like a big range of music, just because yeah. I love music. 
I just yeah, love music. Yeah, and that's you know, sort of what I loved about the Vena Tower Records was, yeah. you know, you had buyers for all those individual mm-hmm. sections. And so, you know, I used to know what the hottest 12-inch was from, you know, mm-hmm. talking to King Brit or mm-hmm. Champ in the basement mm-hmm. uh, about mm-hmm. what we were hot selling 12 yeah. inches. And, uh, you know, the store was sort of, you know, had a casino atmosphere a bit where there was a, an excitement just to be in. And music in sharing, you know, like we really, a lot of times we got to take home a lot of music. And that's how I learned about a lot of music just by some of the random samplers and stuff that we were able to bring home. Everybody had their own play, and so, like, you might not think you like this record, but once they played it, you know, every day for a few weeks. Exactly, it's great. Yeah, the Pixies uh, record, when I first, my my first weeks there, Tony Thomas was really big on Surfer Rosa, which was, you know, (laughs) still like a 480 import or whatever, but that was an eye-opener, and the the birth, the uh, Sugar Cube's birthday. Oh, man. I remember they came through town during that tour. That was oh, yeah. quite a show, first seeing them. Yeah. And, you know, I was like a drummer that wears a tutu, you know. <laughs> were, you, were you playing music back then? Or? You know, I was playing guitar and singing and writing music. And I had like a little four-track recorder, cassette recorder, that I was writing songs on and getting stuff together. And then I was going to move up to New York and get a band. And then a friend of mine was going down to Austin. I was like, hey, I think you really need to check out Austin. You know, that it's, it's pretty mellow. It's kind of cheap. There's a good standard of living and lots of music that I would really... She said, you know, you come down here and you'll find people to play with within a couple weeks. So, What year was this? That I moved down there in 92. Oh, in 92 and I've been there ever since and I did I found people to play with within a couple weeks I took my cassette my multi-track cassette that I mixed down to pass around to people say hey these are the songs I got and at that point it was kind of like psychedelic prog pop what type who were you playing with early on what type of people did you meet down there oh man that band was a mixture of old school austin punk rockers like uh the drummer was in a band called the offenders for a while and um the guitar player was in a couple different bands and uh yeah i just met some local old school local austin people that have been doing it for a while and they welcomed me right on in and I started working at a bar called Emo's kind of in the early years. I was one of the first uh, female bartenders there, and I got to play there, and it was kind of a wild scene early on in Austin. And well, I, how was the vibe different from Philly? What, what was... Uh... Um, a little more laid back. There was a lot less crime down there. Real, like I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Slacker. Absolutely. But at that point, that was definitely the vibe of Austin. Just cheap, and no one had a schedule, and lots of partying, and random weird music, and... Just this oasis, which is Austin still is in the rest of Texas. It's funny. I mean, I, I was, you know, about the same time moving to San Francisco. And when I first got to San Francisco and we were going to a party and they were pointing out two two guys, they're both in Slacker. There's a lot of like Texas people here. And I hadn't seen the movie yet. So I could do was eye them up. I'm like, really? <laughs> they're in a movie? That that skinny guy? You know? <laughs> well, I remember watching the movie and seeing Quackenbush as the coffee house. I'm like, that's where I'm going to go work. And I did. I went and got a job down there. Yeah, it was sort it of was a great, weird. great yeah. commercial for whole sort of alternative lifestyle sort it, of and it there. was an alternative lifestyle like i planned to go down there and get a band started and a couple years later move uh, back up to new york and get rolling but i just ended up just kind of grooving with the vibe down there and enjoying the people it was just i didn't have to work as hard i could play more and it was just a lot cheaper environment a little bit of a ne- never 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 netherland is that what yeah. i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah well it's, well it's funny art is often sort of talked about like it's it's the weather and it's a constant and it's always bubbling up and there's a truth to that but it, it sort of underlines the or it, it ignores 
the reality of economics and how like to do art you really need a, a special economic environment that allows you the time to do art absolutely and you know shamefully austin's having a hard time right now because we're really uh tons and tons of people are moving there and um it's real high end and it's really pushing out the culture yeah it's not know? the same people moving there now that we're moving there absolutely not in ago. fact a lot of the character of the city is either getting pushed out or changed we're all still there looking in the shadows and still kicking I mean, at least I am. I'm not giving up totally yet. You know, I, I feel fortunate about um, my home. And the, I have a wonderful musical community, a very diverse musical community that welcomes me. And and um, I just constantly feel fortunate. It's just we're stuck. Nothing personal against Texas, but we are stuck in the middle of Texas. You know, Austin's a great place, but it's definitely an oasis in the, the whole state. So. Yeah. That's uh, how it's always been presented to yeah, me. I think uh, all the uh, people that have alternative views are uh, moving moving there t- for their safety. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even, even Philadelphia is often talked about as, you know, the state of Pennsylvania is, you know, Pittsburgh and uh, Philadelphia with, with Alabama between. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's funny. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, the politics changed quite a bit. I remember uh, uh, a couple years ago I was with my son in the far-off suburbs um, for, a, for a baseball game, for a soccer match. And as we got further and further out, suddenly all the Trump signs started appearing on people's oh, lawns. And he's, oh, <laughs> my son, in the completely foreboding way, was like, starting to see a lot of Trump signs. He did. <laughs> <laughs> and then the soccer match was right next to a shooting range. That, that sounds like Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you. They just, yeah. Yeah. Austin's definitely like, they call it a dot of blue and a sea of red. So have you had travels outside of the, the comforts of Austin? Or? Uh, I try to travel when I can. Um, one of my most recent big travels is that through my job, I went and did some community work in the high Atlas Mountains of Morocco. So wait, let's, let's stop back for a second here. What, what's, what, what job are you working at that uh, well, affords uh, you to go to Morocco? Well, Whole Foods Market has owned me. 
uh, for the past little over 18 years. Oh, my goodness. And um, basically, they have a microloan program where they go around the world and distribute, or part of a program that distributes microloans in the areas where we source products. And they have a team member volunteer program. Instead of going on vacation, you can take your time off to go into various areas around there and do community work, kind of, kind of, kind of be part of the world community, which I really enjoyed. So myself and 10 other Whole Foods team members from around, around the world gathered, and uh, we traveled up into the High Atlas Mountains and stayed with an indigenous Berber tribe up there and worked on their irrigation system. And help rebuild it with the donkeys and the villagers. What, 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 tell me a little more about what that experience was. Are you really, Is your hand on a shovel? On oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. My hand was on a shovel, dirt's rock. I mean, we were basically, a section of the irrigation system got washed out, and we were hauling rocks and dirt from the side of the mountain to just kind of help line it and mix it with the cement so they could kind of re- rebuild that area out. And then we did some painting in some inside, of, inside of some of the villages' homes and... Yeah. brought supplies like a lot of the stuff i brought like clothing and stuff like that i left there for the village and various supplies that they had a hard time getting just to kind of help them out and get ahead a little bit and what were the people like man i have to tell you i love morocco everybody was so kind and welcoming we were very fortunate you know i was under the umbrella whole foods so i felt pretty safe you know if there was any issues we were protected but i never felt like i had any issue and everybody was just so kind and I just know anytime I'm ready to go back to Morocco because I have friends in a village that will welcome me and friends in Marrakesh. And I, I just loved being in the country and just felt I, I made some lifetime friends. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was really great. I loved being part of the world community and trying to make a little bit of a difference, you know, here and there when I can. You know, I feel a little trapped by my work and I'm trying to kind of. In a, I'm in a forced retirement where I went part-time but without a retirement, so I'm broke, but I'm able to kind of open myself up to different opportunities. So. Yeah. What did you, did you, what'd you take time off for? Were you thinking about? Uh, well, I cut down my hours because I just want to start really uh, diving more into music and the creative work. So just giving yeah. myself the time. You know, I'm getting a little older and getting a little tired, so I figured if I'm going to be tired, I want it to be doing creative work. So I'm trying to balance that all out right yeah. now. The usual, usual uh, artist, musician. And I remember Light. reading a story about John Coltrane towards the end of his his life. I think before he was ill or anything, but he said he was going to stop eating meat because he he didn't want to expend the energy anymore digesting meat. He wanted to put wow. that energy into his music. You know, isn't so. that interesting? Because usually people sometimes eat meat to get energy. I guess everybody's system's different. Yeah, reacts yeah. differently. Maybe at a certain age, maybe you it's feel true. that a little more. You yeah, know? like I got older and I need more more meat. <laughs> <laughs> so between you arriving. In, uh, in Austin in 1992 and going to Morocco that was just recently right? that was a couple years ago a couple yeah. years ago what, what, what where did you what did you do in the rest of those years I'm sure there was uh, oh, some interesting travel see a synopsis in general just of my life I mean I've mainly been in Austin um, I you know I started out having a psychedelic rock and roll band for a while called Butterscotch Tuna back in the early 90s released cassettes <laughs> and everything yeah. and uh then after that, I or tied into that, I had a housemate who had a theremin, and I'm kind of a dork, and I love music, and it was the ultimate combo of science and music. For well, me. maybe it's best to stop for a second and yeah. at least explain what the theremin is. There's probably somebody out there. Um, well, the theremin is the first, the world's first electronic instrument invented circa 1920. 
and it's considered the forefather of electronic music because Bob Moog was kind of obsessed with the theremins and them in younger years and through that technology if I'm understanding correctly he kind of re- reined it in and developed the synthesizer yeah. um, it was a Russian musical instrument and you actually play it without visibly touching anything uh, each ant- there's two antennas and each one radiates an electromagnetic field and one antenna is for pitch and one is for volume and where I place my hands within the fields I can control the pitch and volume. So basically, I'm placing my hands within the invisible electromagnetic fields, and through my hands within those uh, fields, it manipulates the signal and controls pitch and volume. So it's science and music in one, and that makes me happy. <laughs> and I, 25 years later, I'm still very amazed by the process of playing it. It's still really kind of amazes me every time I play it. Yeah, I'm probably on the short list, uh, on a shorter list of people who had a roommate who had a theremin at least. So I did get get to at least get my hands, you know, towards the theremin. (laughs) And uh, it's, you know, I could make a, a, you know, a few woos or sounds or whatever, but then (laughs) later to hear Clara Rockmore, who was famous for her theremin recordings, and you realize like, oh, there really is an art and a gift to this that you can... uh, can sort of make it into a uh, a voice that never Absolutely. needs air. Absolutely. And as a singer, I love that because it can hit ranges that I can't reach. I mean, Ema Sumac is probably one of the only singers I know that she could probably hit every range of theremin could. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but uh, it's voice-like quality is what, what makes it particularly haunting. It's know? really interesting because the thing is the theremin got pretty popular. Um, and Leon Theremin actually was supposedly a spy from the Russians sent to spy on our industrial secrets and he kind of just spent more time here than he should have focusing on the theremin and RCA actually released 500 theremins thinking it was going to be a um, a household instrument announcing anybody can play it you just try <laughs> you know and obviously that didn't work out so there's also these 500 theremins out there original theremins that I would love to have if anybody has one but they're usually about $10,000 or more oh, Franklin Institute has one by the way so Long story short, basically the KGB or the group that was the KGB at the time came and supposedly kidnapped Leon Theremin out of his apartment and took him back to Russia and put him in a Russian gulag prison for about seven years and he invented the first spy bug used against us with the same technology and the first burglar alarm. So the Theremin also has a little bit of an espionage history. So in the time that he was there, the Theremin in America kind of went out of popularity but got uh, as a classical musical instrument as it was first developed it got more popular in sci-fi movies as horror horror sounds like UFOs and ghosts and such yeah, things. Yeah, it's kind of the stereotype of 50s sci-fi when the flying saucer appears. Absolutely. Little theremin wooing in. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing is a lot of people only know the theremin is that or know that sound and aren't aware it's the theremin. I believe, for me, I would like to be part of the movement of people that help bring the theremin back as a viable musical instrument. Yeah. To show like, hey, this is an actual musical instrument. Music can be played on it. It can be played in different situations. I know a lot of people like to play it classically or as noise. And I'm kind of, um, since I have a really diverse musical taste, I kind of use the theremin as my ticket to get into all different types of genre of music. You know, as a female singer, I'll be honest, not everybody wants a female singer. But as a theremin player, everybody's willing to let you come in at least once. and play so I've done Tejano rock and roll jazz psychedelic country Cajunto uh, I'll try anything theremin with anything and I feel pretty successful with it and I just love it because it's really helped just brought in my own personal musical adventures 
you yeah. know, and I just hope in turn that I'm able to, uh, with do justice, bring the help be a part of bringing the theremin back as a, as a viable musical instrument. And I'm there's tons of theremin players around now that are really really good, and I in my heart believe that the theremin is going to come back as an actual instrument. As, as respect respectably what's your latest musical project that you're you're working with uh i have a group called temple of ape and my fellow aaron russell and i have had that group for a while we're kind of i mean it's hard to describe because we're a lot of different genres we're jazz we're rock and roll we're psychedelia maybe a little afro pop you know aaron has a pretty eclectic taste also and brings his writing skill into it what's he playing He's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays guitar. Uh, he plays bass. He plays keyboards. I mean, at the moment, he's in an Afro beat band, a funk band, and a, let's see, what else? Russian gypsy. And a Russian gypsy band. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, the collectiveness is surrounding the household with, as I like it. Yeah. So, yeah. like it to be... Uh, I also do a lot of freelance work. I recently worked with a composer called Catherine Davis, who had hired me. She had written specifically a piece for piano and theremin. And that was the first time I had someone hand me an original piece on music and say, learn this. And it was a very scary but wonderful challenge that I was up for. And it was a lot of hard work. And that really was really exciting and came out very well. And I also played with the uh, Austin Cinematic Symphony several years ago, and that was my first challenge also with receiving sheet music and learning a piece, and that was a really wonderful experience. So I'm, I'm kind of open for anything musically yeah. and doing freelance work, and then with Temple of Ape, the group that I have with Aaron, we're hoping to kind of bring that out a little bit more. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing you've done some teaching. Is that true? Uh, I wouldn't say teaching per se, but I do. I've been hired to do not only performances but also lectures on the instrument, just about the history and scientifically how it works, and uh, just the the bridge between science and music. That's I really the theremin is such a great amalgamam of the two worlds. Yeah, with such a crazy history with the espionage history, it's just this weird, strange little instrument. I guess another another thing people know it from is it's sort of at the, the climactic point of "Good Vibrations" by uh, the Beach Boys. It's true, and you know what's crazy? That is actually not a theremin. It's this instrument oh. called a tannerin, which is like it's like a combination of a theremin and another electronic instrument that was invented around the same time as the theremin, called an Andes Martineau. And the theremin, you don't touch it when you play it with, with the ondas. You, it's a flat kind of keyboard-looking thing with a picture, and you put your finger in a ring, and it pulls a wire, and you wave your hand pulling the wire over it, and that's what's actually used, and that's called a tannerin. That's funny. Isn't that instrument? It's a, a similar sound, but a little different. But I, I usually I usually don't correct people because I'm just I just think yes, it's a theremin because you know. I'm glad you did because I'm yeah, I'm a huge Beach like Boys research. fan, yeah. and like yeah, how could I not get, pick up that yeah. fact? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the theremin, and I just, as my voice and as my ticket to kind of get around in the music world, and then I s sneak my singing in, which uh, is always a nice surprise, you know, on top of it or in between, which is really fun.
So, so what's your trip to, to Philadelphia been like for you? What, what do you think of Philadelphia coming back? Well, I have how, to how say. How long has it been since you've been here? You know, I try to visit about every year to visit my parents because they live here in downtown. I will say that Philadelphia's cleaned up a lot since I left. I don't know if it's because I left. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I really am impressed how Philly's kind of cleaned up and a lot of interesting things going on. And I just miss, you know... Texas was settled a little later than than Philadelphia, so I really miss like uh, the old buildings and the history of the city. I just love walking through the city and look at the buildings and the the random good smells. Yeah, <laughs> most of the random bad smells. <laughs> when I left, it was the red brick. I didn't realize that it was, you know I missed. I got to San Francisco, and they don't build things out of brick because of earthquake problems. Oh, that makes sense. So there's really no red brick there. Wow. And then to come back here, like wow, this is uh, you know the specifics of the place became much more apparent. You live somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, I just miss the history. I miss the history a lot. Yeah. You know, Austin's a little bit newer. Like I, I mean, I. I don't mean to knock Austin. I love Austin, but how we've grown has been kind of painful. You know, I was a little naive, like, okay, we're going to urbanize. We're going to get bigger. I thought it would be a little bit more like Philadelphia where, you know, you have an eclecticness in the downtown. You can find the little mom-and-pop restaurant next to the high-end stuff where Austin's kind of become all high-end. So that that was a little disappointing on how Austin grew, and I miss kind of that uh, history of culture, yeah. the diversity. Yeah, well, you know, It's a little I, more diverse up here, shall we say. Yeah. When, when I left San Francisco, uh, I remember, you know, the observation to some friend at the time thinking that, uh, oh, they're coming from the suburbs and I think they're bringing the suburbs with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know who all these people are moving in, but they're, they're moving in. It just seems to be the wave that's kind of happening across the United States. Yeah. But um, I just love the history of Philadelphia and just feeling it when I'm walking through the city. And then randomly running into old friends on the street like I did with you the last time I was in town. <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise. I hadn't seen, uh, I hadn't seen Aileen in, in uh, decades. And I heard Mary Zach, her friend, I hadn't mm-hmm. seen in decades either. Yep. And suddenly this car, you know, pulled over. And there's that moment where you think maybe you're going to be shot down. Or, or, <laughs> I mean, but we no. thought about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I got, a, got a nice hug and said hello. And then he jumped in the car. And sped away, and you, you know, yeah, you can't beat that random home yeah. hugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I also saw. Do you remember Dave Quepit? Absolutely. Also, yeah, yeah. I was walking uh, down the street, and he was actually sitting on the uh, stoop of one door, and he's like, "Aileen," I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, and it was actually my old apartment building, my, where my first apartment was over at Ninth and Pine. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. miss stoops. I miss basements. Like I don't know what the hell's going on. They say there's water table issues in Texas, but Austin's in the middle of Texas. Like, give me a damn basement. <laughs> <laughs> I need a basement. It's really sad. Yeah, Philadelphia, when I used to come back, it was great that I could sort of walk around Center City and still bump into all sorts of people that uh, you know I knew here from back in the 80s, I guess. It's really amazing. Yeah. You know, I feel very, very fortunate. I feel very fortunate, even though, you know, we all have our tough journeys, and I just feel fortunate I'm still here alive and kicking and being able to be involved in music and play with different people and have a lot of musical adventure i'm just kind of at a point now where i'm hoping to make a little scratch doing it you know that's everybody's fantasy but i kind of believe the theremin's coming back and um i love playing theremin with anything i love writing music and composing music my next challenge that's coming upon me uh for composition is a friend of mine found an old circus organ in florida you know involved the whole section the timpani section the pipes horns the whole section and he's been breaking it down and inside, his name's Colin McIntyre, and inside a shipping container, he built out the pipes and hooked it up to a computer sequencer so you can sequence a program that will run the pipe 
pipes on it, so the pipe organ. So he asked myself and some other people to compose music for that and to play along with it. So my next challenge is going to be writing out a program for the pipes to play and for me to play some theremin with. Oh wow! So cool. I'm looking forward to doing that. That's my that's my next challenge project. You know, and the thing is, some stuff pays, some stuff doesn't. This one doesn't. It's going to be an excellent musical challenge, which I like. So I'm up for that. You know, and sometimes that's the payment in itself. Yeah. Try and get as much money as you can, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, well, and like my friend Colin, I actually know him. I have a blacksmithing history. I met him when I was going to college for art medals and Wait, blacksmithing. Stop, stop, stop. Another, another section of my life in Austin, by the way. You, tell, stop for a second with your, your blacksmithing uh, yeah. abilities. What? <laughs> I went to school for art, art medals and blacksmithing in Austin. And Austin actually has a really huge blacksmithing community. And I've been a little out of it for the past 10 years because, you know, when you're working a lot and you're doing creative arts, you have to make a choice. So I had to make a choice really between music or blacksmithing for my time. So I put the blacksmithing aside for a little while to work on music, but I still have all my equipment, my anvils in my living room, my forges hiding under a shelf. You know, I, I, the, the, that world is not dead to me, but I, I spent a little bit of time uh, doing that work and doing some jobs for other people and independent work. What sort of stuff are you creating? Uh, it's most it, at that point it was mostly ornamental ironwork, uh-huh. yeah, for interiors or like for fireplaces or staircases. And but Colin, uh, he continued to do it and is still an active blacksmith now. And he owns a gallery called Dimension Gallery in Austin. And one of his more recent projects is taking these bits and baubles of this giant circus organ that he got and building it out in the shipping container and giving some local musicians some challenges. So I feel honored that he asked me to come do that. And I'm always up for a musical challenge because part of music is not even just playing it, it's creating it. You know, and since I love music and art, you know, there's so many ways to apply it in different in different situations. So I'm kind of intrigued by this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I have to say blacksmithing like a surprise and yet <laughs> and yet completely believable that oh, you would I have blacksmithing. It. Thank you. I'm a little like my muscles are probably a little more jello than they were back then. But it's still in my heart and I I you know, I that that world's not dead to me at the moment so yeah it's just in the register of skills and knowledge and pleasure in my head yeah yeah for me the very pleasing sound of a hammer striking metal you know (laughs) if that's part of the process it seems like seductive and i will say between my workshop years and music and the theremin i do have a little bit of a tea whistle going in my right ear so Uh, that that you know that's a weird side effect i think it could possibly be mainly that i've tried to bring theremin into rock and roll so i had to really like push the theremin above the band so I can hear it. So that definitely, you know, as it is a beautiful frequency, it is a frequency. So I tend to like protect my ears a little bit more now, but. You and me as well. I think yeah, my, my really, brief years yeah. in the hypnotizing chickens. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> took their toll on my ears a bit as well. <laughs> That's pretty funny for hypnotizing chickens. I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> it probably bets that way. <laughs> Great guys, nothing against the guys. I'm very critical of my own performance there. Thank you so much for uh, for coming out. Is there anything I appreciate else? It. Well, you know, I just or? want to say it's been really nice running into you and being able to talk about all this. You know, I've been very fortunate as a musician and a theremin player the past several years, just playing with the Cinematic Symphony, like I talked to you about before. Yeah. You played you played recently with one of the members of the legendary Magic Band from Captain Beefheart days. Man, what an unbelievable honor! Yeah, John French, Drumbo, like he. He knew some folks in Austin, and uh, he decided to come out from behind the drums and be out front and sing the music of Beefheart and play the saxophone and gathered up some of the most top-notch musicians in Austin. And 
Uh, we played a show of Beefheart music at the world-famous Threadgills. Do you remember any of the tunes you were doing there? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, like I said, we'd done Autumn's Child, yeah. and which really choked up John French because he had that had never been ever played live. So when we practiced it, he really took a moment and just had to step back and take a little deep breath. So I was pretty honored about that. And... Um, Big Odd Beans, and gosh, what else? I know we could pull up the set list. You're tapping my memory. <laughs> How was it tough to play that music? The music no, sort of legendarily not difficult. at all. Because, you know, honestly, everybody that was in the band loved Beefheart. So it wasn't that he had found some random musicians that were trying to learn the music. We're all Beefheart fans. So it was just basically everybody in the band was really honored to be involved and do the best and bring the best. And what he did, he kind of rewrote the music a little bit because not only did I play theremin, myself and a couple other folks, uh, he had backup singers and a full horn section that he added in. So he re kind of worked the music a little bit in his own way. And it just, it was, it was fabulous. And I'm so honored to have been able to do that. Yeah, as specific as that music seems, it's, it's surprisingly uh, open to interpretation. Yeah. Just, just the, this last year, I guess it was, uh, a record with um, Gary Lucas, who played in the later version of the Magic Band, and Nona, Nona Hendricks from oh, LaBelle wow. Oh, wow. Uh, did a record of all uh, Beefheart oh covers. And it's no brilliant. Idea. It seems that it was made to be sung by a you know, soul singer. Oh, Gary, oh Gary hell Lucas. yeah. I was honored yeah. that I was even able to bring my theremin and my, my, my singing voice to it. <laughs> I, I'm still blown away by it, and John French is such a great guy, and he just did a tour through Europe with that with a with a group. I don't. He was calling it the farewell tour. Now whether he holds to that or not, I don't know. But um, I'm just feel so fortunate that I was able to be involved in that. That's why. Um, even Aaron and I recently played the Austin Airport. You know, that's how rock and roll music uh, Austin is, that they have stages in the airport. Austin, you know, they have some really great stages. We played this one little stage in their mock little record store in there. So, you know, we're playing music to people, shopping to records and walking by, rushing to their planes. It was, I've been paid to do worse. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming you, out. Thank you, Dan. It was always, it's been so great to see you. I was say always. It's only been a couple times. <laughs>
One, two, three, four. That's it for today's show. Thanks to Aileen for interrupting her vacation and stopping by. You can find out more about her work at theremonforthemasses.com and look for her group, the Temple of Ape Collective. As for myself, check out my film appreciation class in July at Fleischer Arts Memorial on Philly Summer Classics. And hear me spinning jazz and beyond at WPRB, Mondays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., both over the air and at WPRB.com, and I hope you will return soon for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.